Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we are recording. So today is March 20th, 2016. So for today's call, I really want to offer you guys some guidance, insight, and tips for the practicing animal communicator, all of you in moving forward in working with animals up for adoption. These can be animals located in shelters, sanctuaries, those in foster homes, or those that are living more of in a private environment setting, but you know there are people out there who take animals strays in and look forward to finding them a home as well. And I would consider those animals up for adoption too. So um, let me just give you a little bit of background. Most of you uh, on the call who have registered are familiar with my background. Some of you may not so much. So I've been practicing animal communication since I learned it back in 2005, went professional in 2006. But in regards to this particular call, when I first got out of high school, I went into college not knowing anything about animal communication, and I pursued a veterinary technician career which allowed me to work in small animal vet clinics, but especially offered me the opportunity to eventually work in a SBCA in New York. It was a no-kill facility. I was asked to be in charge of the cats, cats and kittens, in that aspect of the facility. There was another gal who was in charge of the dogs. And what I discovered as a non-communicator at that time, but just working in the capacity of a vet tech, is that the array of personalities of the cats really wowed me. It floored me. I mean, I grew up with cats in, the, in my own home environment, but seeing at any given time 100-plus cat personalities in that particular setting really opened my eyes, uh, you know, myself personally to, wow, they really are all different. And those ideas that I've heard people say, such as, you know, the male cats, especially the orange ones, are really extra lovey-dovey and things of that sort. I found, you know, those really wasn't true <laughs> when you had that many animals, that many cats. You know, there really wasn't, you know, males are more friendly uh, than females. And I've heard the opposite said as well. Um, so it really was uh, an amazing experience to see the abilities of some of these cats to adapt to a shelter setting and to see how some of them went into depression or became very reclusive after a time, especially after being there for a fairly long period of time. So the responses of the animals was very, you know, um, if I could step back out of my own emotional state in observing them, it was very interesting to observe. I would say that the majority, my experience of being there, you know, uh, well, four to six years, four years full time, it was like really interesting to see that three-quarters of them actually adapted quite well to the setting of being in a shelter atmosphere. And I'm talking the type of shelter where it was no-kill, but the cats were in cages for the most part. Some were in cages in isolation rooms, depending on their, their health status, if they were ill or needed extra supportive care, things along those lines. And it was that, you know, one-quarter uh, group that really didn't do great in that setting. I wish I knew what I know now that I could have applied communication 
skills to them then, but that wasn't part of where I was in my journey. So, you know, when I think about my background, talking with the shelter animals these days and knowing what I knew as a vet tech and the kind of environment that they're exposed to, the noise, the inconsistency sometimes with staff and how they do things, the lack of routine that they would have and like they would have in a normal home environment that's just not always available or offered to them in a shelter setting does put these animals in, in a potentially higher stressed environment. If they're in foster homes, certainly that can be a lot more comfortable for the average dog, cat, and other animals, of course, as well, too, horses, etc. So talking about the practical reasons of why one might want to actually communicate with shelter animals, there's a whole bunch of them. The most obvious one, and probably why you're on the call, is to help them get adopted. When we communicate with the shelter animals, we can find out what their preferences are, their likes, their dislikes, what they think they can feel successful and satisfied in in a certain home environment. For example, some cats and dogs prefer environments that are more calming, that lack children, and others want the social atmosphere of engaging with their own kind. So you've got everything out there as far as interest goes, and you find out simply by asking them. So that's the most obvious practical reason. So you can help them get adopted, help get their, their interests known. Also, helping them find out what they prefer in a forever home is something that we communicators do along the way when they, the animal, hasn't yet thought of it themselves. You know, a lot of animals are so in the very present moment that they're not thinking too much about their future. Depending on where they are, they may or may not be thinking too much about their past. That depends but they may not have really put much thought into what they want in a future home. So if they're a kitten who was maybe born at the shelter, they may have no mm, you know, preference at that point or think they have a preference regarding what they want. But the moment you as a communicator start asking them questions, well, do you think you would like this or that? Or you know, did you think about this, You know, being an indoor-only cat? Do you think you can feel comfortable for spending your entire life as an indoor-only cat? You know, it brings the awareness to these animals that maybe haven't thought about their future too much into mind. And it gives them the opportunity to think on that, say where they stand on it, and of course get their needs heard. A third practical reason is it helps open-minded staff to know where the animals stand. Now, if you're working with an animal shelter or sanctuary or the like that is very interested in what the animals have to say, then relaying what you hear to them is going to be really huge. Um, the fourth reason is just to be in service to the animals. Guys, even if you're working with an animal, say on PetFinder.com, because at this point maybe you haven't found an open-minded shelter who you know, has given you the okay to relay the notes that you're getting from the animal to them so they, the staff, can know what the animal prefers and doesn't, um, even just listening to the animal talk about what they want in a future of her home is such a gift to them. It gives them the opportunity to be heard on that topic when maybe somebody has never asked them that before and maybe they wouldn't ever be given that opportunity had you not reached out to them on a site such as PetFinder.com. And, and I point out PetFinder because that's a really nice way for all of you. If you want to start working with shelter animals but you lack a facility to work with, just go to PetFinder. All of those animals are up for adoption, so they're all free game for you to go ahead, connect with, introduce yourself, and start asking them questions. Now, one might say, 
well, it's practical to ask them questions, but if the shelter or rescue isn't hearing their answers, how much good is it going to do? And the short answer to that is it can do a lot. Because you know what, guys? The universe is actually listening to the response of every animal. The universe is all ears. When you ask those questions of those animals, energetically the universe gets the reply and it puts out ripples, attractive ripples even, towards the potential homes or adopters who would match what the animal is putting out there. So it does matter, even if a real person on the other end of the phone isn't hearing or getting your information that you're receiving directly. Um, there's a couple other practical uses that we sometimes don't even think of. If you yourself are looking to adopt a shelter animal to add it to your family, and I did just this myself, then you can go ahead and communicate with the shelter animals and asking them online or if you meet them in person at adoption events, etc. what are you looking for in a home? And then listen to what the animal has to say and see if it matches up with what you have to offer. So when I was looking for the right chihuahua mix to join my household, I knew I wanted that particular breed or breed mix, and I knew that I wanted specific qualities you know, regarding him, you know, friendly, quiet, house trained, things along those lines. And I'll tell you, I went online on Pet Finder and to some adoption events where rescues were working with, with the smaller breeds, such as that kind, and I asked those dogs directly, telepathically, you know, in my mind if I was in an adoption event, you know, hey, what are you looking for? Here's what I have to offer. Do you think you'd be comfortable living with four cats because that's what I've got? Would you be comfortable being a you know, house dog because I do not have a yard attached to my condo? How much exercise do you need, do you not need? I really got a feeling for where each animal stood, their personality as well as soon as I tuned into them. And that gave me a plethora of information to know what animal was most appropriate for me to adopt. And the last practical reason is for those of you guys that are doing communication sessions for family members or for friends, you may at some point have one of them approach you and say, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, adopting that horse, and I want to make sure it's going to be a right fit for me. I don't know anything about its education level in riding, if it has an interest in riding, if it feels it's sound for riding at this time. Can we ask those questions? So you might be asked to be the go-between. I get hired to do that sometimes so that people are choosing the right animal to bring into their family at least based off of as much information as we can acquire in a telepathic session. So um, before you decide to do this work at all, I would encourage you to sit down on your own time and to get clear and asking yourself, why do I want to do this work? Why do I want to connect with animals in rescues and shelters? Because your motivation or agenda, guys, in where you're coming from and doing this work may end up or may not coloring your sessions and coloring what you hear or not. It's good to know that if you're coming from a place where you just want to be of service to the animals, you just want to help, you just want to listen, you just really want to, you know, um, assist them in their, their unique life journey. If you're coming from that motivation in communicating with them, you're probably going to be coming from a really clear place, and it's going to be easier to remain clear in listening to the animals directly. If you're coming from a place of pity or feeling sorrow for the animals on some level or, you know, wanting to change the system, 
you know, because you don't like they're in the shelter, they shouldn't be there, and you have all these points of views and ideas about this and that, and you want to help get them out there, out, out of there, you want to rescue them, you want to save them, you want to fix their situation. Um, if you notice my, my purposeful <laughs> um, inflection of tone of voice here, you're coming from a whole different arena in communicating with them. And it's just good to kind of know if that's where you stand. Because if you come from that arena of judgment of their situation, or of them, or of the people who potentially put the animal in the shelter or relinquished it, etc., then you've got some judgment that may end up color coming in and coloring your what you desire to be a clear communication with the animals. So sit down with your honest, write it down on paper. Where am I coming from? What are my reasons for doing this work? Because as you write down your list, you know, whatever comes to you is going to be, if you're working from an honest perspective, it's going to be really brilliant for you to see. Hey, here's where I stand right now. And, ooh, I can see that I really don't like the fact that animals are in shelters, especially kill shelters. I can't stand that idea. And I want to help get them out to rescue them, to save their life. Okay? Um, you'll want to look at that list in anywhere you're not being as judgmental-free, I suppose, as possible. You want to see if you can come to a, a more conscious thought, a higher thought that steps you away from that so that you can be in a more clear position when talking with the animals. If your agenda in communicating with them is to save them or fix their problem, I will tell you, gang, that you're disrespecting them on a soul level, whether you realize it or not. I kind of look at that as when we look at one another, humans or animals, as victims, we forget that on a soul level, they're as equal as any of you and I are. They are equal beings that just happen to be born with four legs and a tail. Okay? When we see them as, oh, poor thing, poor animals, when we see them as victims, we are actually doing a one-up on them. We are saying, oh, I'm in a better position and you're not, which is still judgment. And judgment, guys, is going to potentially kill the clarity of the communication session, hence why I mention it. You know, um, one way that I view the animals in shelters, and I will tell you, you know, there are times that my own judgments come up too. I'm human. I've, I'd love to say I've out-evolved all of them, but I certainly haven't. That would, be, that would be unfair or untruthful for me to say. In those moments when I catch myself going, oh, that's a really tough or terrible situation that that animal's in, then what I do is I like to take a step back from that thought Okay, and I know that my thoughts create my emotions. So if I take a step back from that thought, then my emotion of poor animal or pity for them or victim, seeing them as a victim, is going to allow me to step farther from that as well. And when I take a st step back, I can then say, you know what, to myself, they're animals who are having a unique life experience. And there is a bigger scheme or bigger picture going on that's bigger than me bigger than this animal, bigger than the situation the animal's in, bigger than the people who put the animal in that position potentially, or the people who are trying to, the shelter or rescue, trying to get them out of that position. There is a bigger plan in place that I'm not privy to. And I don't know, and nor am I going to pretend to always understand why things happen as they happen. And yet I'm going to trust that there's something in this animal's unique life journey, soul journey, that is just perfect. This situation 
as ugly as it may be, is just perfect for them in the, and in their personal soul growth, and perhaps even in the soul growth of the people who come in contact with the animal in this situation. Um, sometimes in life, for people and animals, we have to encounter the duality side of life, where the duality is the, the negative aspect instead of the positive aspect. That, that would be the opposite side of the duality. Um, where we sometimes have to encounter the negative in order to appreciate, understand, or even attract the positive. Sometimes we've got to get clear on what we don't want. And that happens for animals as well as the people as well. And so I just kind of like to point out, if I step into the communication session from the standpoint of this being is having a unique journey, and I'm not going to judge their journey as ugly, bad, or wrong, or terrible, if I can do that, then I can be a clear communicator, and they're going to sense that I am coming from the most loving, unconditionally loving place that I can come from in communicating with them. Pity, guys, is not unconditional love. Pity has a very dense vibration to it. You're going to get a lot further in being of highest service to the animals when you can be in a space of unconditional love versus in a place of pity or something else. All right. So um, seeing the animals as equals is huge in going into the communication with experiences with them. Um, let me just, so it, it, you know, when I sat down and did my list myself, what I discovered for me was I really want to be of assistance, of service, of help to the animals. And, you know, to the animals in this type of situation, rescue and shelter situations. And when I asked myself the reason why, my motivation, if I can be transparent here, was because I was wowed and floored by those hundreds of personalities of cats that I met along my personal journey in being a vet tech. And even though I wasn't communicating with them at that time telepathically, I was still so impressed. And as a result, up to this point in time, I still have such gratitude for them that I feel like I'm at this point still giving back in a way that feels so good for me. I'm giving back to the animals, shelter animals, that changed my life at one point when I was in my early 20s. So I'm giving back in, as a form of it's my contribution. Um, it also, you know, brings me great joy just to work with them because I, as Danielle, I'm so curious about the different life situations that beings, that the divine is taking on. You know, the divine is this animal, is that animal, is this human, is that human. I am amazed by the variety of, well, interactions, situations, circumstances that, you know, dance together. Some of them pretty and some of them not. And I am very interested and curious. I guess it's a natural divine curiosity I have within me into knowing how is that being adapting to that situation. Can I be of service by offering a thought or an idea maybe that animal has never thought of that would help them reframe the situation that they might see as a terrible or bad thing too? Can I ask them what's the gift in that situation when at this point in time maybe they're only seeing that it's a terrible situation they don't see a gift in it until I pose that question? and then it helps them see perhaps from a different point of view. So those are the reasons why I do this work, but it's good to get clear. Now, if anybody has a question at any point along the call, if you hit star six, it should raise your hand um, on my board. And I say should because this conference call line sometimes changes the way they do things. 
if your hand has been raised and you're not hearing me call on you, just go ahead and, when it feels right, interrupt me, because obviously that feature isn't working at this moment. All right, so why talking with such animals can be pivotal to getting them adopted? Here's the explanation of why. So what I discovered back when I lived in New York and was doing some free pro bono animal communication sessions for one of the local shelters right around the corner from where I lived, and that, yes, I would actually go in person, and the director, she was open to the work that I did, would point out certain animals that had been at this uh, shelter for a longer period of time than they were wanting the animals to, we wanted to get them adopted right away. What she ended up telling me after me being there a few weeks is, you know, Danielle, every time I have you speak to these animals, it seems to be, even though nobody had any interest in them before, they seem to be adopted within a few days of you talking with them to a couple weeks when the animal had been sitting in the cage uninterested in by the public for months. So um, she had said that again and again and again. And I, I remember thinking to myself at that time, gosh, I don't know what it is about, you know, me talking with the animals, relaying the, the notes to the director, because that's all I was doing. It wasn't like I was talking with the public or, or, you know, advocating the animals up for adoption. I wasn't doing anything extra above and beyond talking with them. And what I ended up discovering later on, and something that Penelope Smith, a well-known animal communicator, ended up talking about, I heard this back a few years back, is she said, you know, whenever people go into shelters and ask the animal, what they want in the home, the universe listens, and the universe is all ears and has that ripple effect, and the universe responds to what the animal is putting out there in their reply to you, and as a result, the animal, even if they're not purposely trying to, is starting to attract the right person or situation that they spoke of that's just right for them. So the law of attraction basically gets put into uh, motion by talking with them. And that's why I say even working with animals on PetFinder.com is so pivotal, even if you don't talk with the, the shelter director on the answers you receive from the animals, simply because that law of attraction, which is a universal law here on planet Earth, gets set into motion. The energy of the Earth, energy of the universal energy of life itself, here's the responses. All right. So what are some things that one might hear or encounter from an animal? Well, in talking with many over the years, a couple of the things that I've heard is I'm really confused about being here. I don't understand why my person gave me up. Or I do understand why they gave me up, and I think it's because I was wrong or bad. So here's how I handle that one. If you hear that from an animal, Please correct them. No being on this planet, animal or human, is ever seen in the eyes of the divine as wrong or bad. We're just not. Okay. So whether that animal had trouble getting along with another animal in the household and that's why the person gave them up, or the people just had too many pets in their home and they, they needed greater ease in their lives and so they did what they thought was the best choice for themselves and for the pet and relocating the pet to the shelter atmosphere. You know, For whatever the reason, help the animal to see that you know, it's not really that, you know, you did something or you didn't do something. It's not that you're wrong or bad. It's just, you know, people decided what they decided, and they probably made the best decision that they knew how to do based on who they are and what they know. You know, I personally believe, guys, that humans, all of us, we're all doing the best we can with what we know. And some of us know more than others, 
and others of us just haven't come into a certain awareness about this or that or other options that might have been better or different for the animal had we gone that route because we'd never been exposed to that before, didn't know that. It wasn't part of our, our learning experience or life experience up to that point, so maybe we didn't know. So again, staying out of judgment and staying in unconditional love when talking to the animal about why they got rehomed to the shelter atmosphere can be very helpful too, helping them to kind of come more into balance potentially by offering that line of thinking. Other things that animals will say or you may hear, it's going to be along the lines of, I'm confused. What is this place about? Um, am I in danger? Okay. So if you sense that from an animal, clear up the information for them. You know, I have no qualms about telling an animal, you are in a shelter, which is kind of like a temporary inn or hotel, to give you the opportunity to potentially get adopted. And if they happen to be in a kill shelter, a potential will be a potential to be adopted. And depending on if it feels right or not, I may tell them the animals that do not end up finding the right match for them or not choose who end up not getting chosen or selected for adoption, then this is a kill shelter, so you may eventually be released from body into spirit. I will tell you guys, there are animals out there, of course, who want to stay in their body, just like we want to stay in our bodies. We want to continue on with this life. Most of us are enjoying it. But there's also animals out there that are going to be like, oh, okay. So if that happens, the animals just kind of have an awareness, an innate knowing that all is well. They understand that revolving in and out of a body, in and out of a body, is kind of a repeat sort of pattern, especially because most of them have experienced that in the past and have an innate recall or understanding that even if I lose my body in this lifetime, I'm still going to be able to come back and reincarnate into a new body. So it's not as detrimental to them a lot of times to explain to them, hey, you may end up losing this body in this circumstance if you don't get adopted. Um, you know, a lot of people think, a lot of uh, humans, rescue people are like, oh, that's going to be terrible for them to hear. Don't tell them that. And I'm like, you know what? Be honest. Honesty is coming from a place of truth, and truth is in alignment with the divine. So I'm here to offer these animals the best truth as I know it to help them make whatever choices they're going to make from it. I don't want to tell them lies for them to create their life or cho make choices from. I want them to kind of be in the know so they can choose from, you know, a foundation of truth and knowledge. Um, other things that I'll hear from the animals that you may encounter, they may be emotionally upset or fearful or even aggressive with people. They may not want to be there, and they may tell you that. Get me out of here. You may hear things like that as well. You know, and again, your job as a communicator is just to talk with them, maybe help them see what the gift is in that, in, in that circumstance, help them to see from a different point of view. Because if you can help them to see from a different point of view, different point of views, you know, since our point of views are our thoughts and beliefs, create our emotions, if you help them see from a different point of view, you can help them to shift their emotional state potentially out of fear, aggression, worry, and upset. Sometimes yeah, I find that the animals also explain that they don't understand the intentions of the staff or even the public around, around them. And you need to explain that to them. Okay, the public is there to kind of see if you are the right match for them or if another animal near you is the right match for them. 
for the, the shelter staff is here to care for your physical needs, to offer shelter, food, and water. They really are potentially limited animal on time in what they can offer as far as TLC, touch, uh, the emotional bonding that I suspect you would desire. They are really catering to the most basic needs of you at this time. And it's your job, animal, to catch the eye or attract and use your body language to indicate to the public, especially people that really you're interested in, use your body language to let them know you're interested in them. Make it obvious, make it clear to them. And sometimes animals need to be informed of different suggested ways of how they can use their body language in showing or demonstrating to a person that they're interested in being taken home by them. You know, that dog may need to be told Sit down, don't jump. Be calm, don't bark. <laughs> that horse may be told, need to be told, stand by that person. Don't turn around and give them your butt. That cat might need to be invited to the idea of don't bite. Keep your teeth in your mouth. Keep your claws in your paws. And consider being calm and relaxed and allow touch as is comfortable for you. Demonstrate to them you're interested in them. And what I say to those animals, guys, when I say when you encounter a person who's interested in you or seems to be interested in you and you're not interested in them, then in a kind way, make it obvious you're disinterested. I'll often tell dogs or cats to, you know, sit down or give their butt or their back to them and act like they're not even in the room. Total ignoring. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell horses something similar. Act like, you know, you could care less that they're there. You know, but I do not ever encourage the animals to claw, bite, you know, kick, or anything of that sort because that could potentially put them into danger. Okay. All right. Do you have any questions? At star six, raise your hand. Um, I do want to share a story here about an encounter with an animal who I spoke with many years ago. It was an orange kitten in, in one of the no-kill shelters, actually that I was at, and one of the volunteers asked me to speak to the kitten because it was very ill. They'd been trying to treat it with antibiotics for a couple weeks. It was probably about three months old, and they actually had or felt they had somebody, a potential adopter, lined up for it, and all they needed to do was help that kitten get better, get stable, so they could adopt it out. And they asked me to communicate with the kitten. What I discovered is the kitten was adamant. He said to me, I'm not interested in being adopted. I'm not interested in this body. I actually have plans on leaving this body and reincarnating to become a white cat in a domestic setting home where I'll be born to a mother cat who's in a house. That's what I want. And I explained to this kitten, you know, the shelter's point of view, okay, I understand and, and honor your point of view, but here's what the shelter, the shelter has a home probably lined up for you if you're willing to come around and, and they can help you get healthy. And the, the kitten was like, not interested, not interested. And I, as a communicator, had up to that point never encountered such a, um, an animal so inclined to leave this body in order to take on another one. It was already pre-planning its, its second round, its next life. And I relayed that to the volunteer. And I said, you know, this kitten is actually wanting you to just let it go or be, preferably, it's asking for euthanasia so it can start its next journey. Um, and, you know, she relayed that to the director who, of course, was not interested in, in euthanizing the kitten. And so the kitten ended up, you know, passing away a week later on its own due to its health issue. 
But every now and then you are going to encounter an animal that just isn't interested in being adopted. And how do you take that? I'm not there as a communicator, guys, and I would encourage you not to be too, to convince the animal that it's the best decision for them to get adopted. Because you know what? On their unique soul path and journey, maybe it's not. Okay. I'm not going to pretend to know wisdom that I'm not privy to. I will offer them, here's where the shelter stands, here's maybe even I'll offer them my two cents, but with that said, I will honor and respect where they stand too. All right. So how do you support animals from a distance? So let's say you had done some communication with an, a shelter animal, and you found that they were really shy in that environment or really sad, and maybe you were able to relay that information to the shelter staff and maybe you weren't. How can you support them from here on out post-communication? One of the easiest ways, guys, and I've done this in the past, is I will, one of two things. One, I will energetically sit and send them love. You know, it doesn't take more than a minute. But I'll create that emotion of love like you feel when you're loving your own pets. I will, um, I will emit that from my heart, and I will invite that energy to surround and be within the body of the animal that I have in mind. The energy of love, guys, is such a high vibration. It can shift. It can change things. And that animal can use that energy in whatever way they see fit on the soul level. They can use it to change their circumstances or to have, you know, um, a new thought, you know, an epiphany, an awakening. Um, they can use it in whatever way they desire. But sending love is something one can always do. And it doesn't require a communication session with them. The second thing is I'll tune in and I'll check in with them briefly. I might say, hey, how are you doing today? Or I might, instead of inviting them into conversation, I might say, hi, this is Danielle. We spoke a few days ago, and I know you were really sad, and I really just wanted to let you know that I care about you and I love you, and I wish the absolute best in your unique life journey. Sometimes I'll just send them a blessing with my words. Okay. Um, a third way you certainly could handle that is check in with them and inquire how they're doing that day and troubleshoot with them. Talk with them about their feelings, just like you would to, uh, you know, a human friend, your best friend, and help them move through that at times by just be there, being there for them. It's kind of like the equivalent of holding their hand, being there for them along the way. And, you know, do that for as long as it feels appropriate. Another thought here, um, the types of questions that you ask the animals. Now, I did send you all a list of questions that I kind of look at as a basic set of questions one could pose to an animal up for adoption. However, you might read that and say, you know, I've got some other questions in mind that really resonate for me even better that I'd want to ask an animal, and that's fine too. You know, ask whatever questions really, you know, seem to match well with you and in communicating with the as animals because you're coming from your own truth <laughs> in approaching the conversation. But there are some key questions that I've got on there, such as, you know, what do you want as far as living with another animal of your own kind? Do you want to live with another friendly dog, friendly cat, friendly horse, or do you want to be the only pet? And why is that? I always like to ask them the why after many of these questions, even though I didn't write why in following each one. Um, because it, it helps me to understand the animal's motivation in where they're coming from, and it can give me more information to ask another potentially really great question that the universe hears the response to. Other really great questions, asking them, do you want to live with children? That can be key and huge. 
um, for some of these animals. How quiet or active or noisy a home do you like? There are some dogs out there I've spoken to that want lots of commotion, lots of excitement, lots of children, lots of um, play, play partners. And they're totally fine with noise. Not every animal needs or seeks a um, quiet kind of atmosphere. But you don't know till you ask. And here's the thing about write-ups, guys. If you go on PetFinder.com and you read the write-ups of the animals on there, I'll encourage you to take it with a grain of salt because that's the perspective of a human who may or may not have direct contact with that animal. I know the, um, the, the dog rescue that I work with, wonderful rescue group. We fosters of the dogs are asked to submit information on the pets, but that somebody else designated in the rescue group who is a volunteer actually takes all that information and writes it up. So things can potentially, when you've got a middleman in between, get misconstrued, misunderstood, exaggerated. So take what they write on there with a grain of salt. It may or may not truly fit that animal. It's probably true, but it may not be perfect. So go straight to the horse's mouth, get the other side of the coin, and ask the animal anything specific that you see in the write-up that you think you would want or the shelter might want to know. Um, in asking those animals a list of questions, remember, you don't need permission. As I said before, they're up for adoption, so you don't need permission from the shelter, the director, etc. Okay, If they're owned, that's a different story. Then we wouldn't be having this call, because <laughs> owned animals <laughs> is not part of the topic here. Um, so where to find the animals? When I first started uh, having an interest in communicating with those in rescues, I actually sent out probably 15 letters to local shelters and rescues, introducing them to who I was. It, and it was a mailed out kind of letter. And I sent it to all the directors of the shelter. And I indicated in the letter what I do, how I felt that communicating with some of their adoptable pets may be of service to them in the shelter. And I waited to hear back. And I'll tell you, I didn't hear back from a single shelter. And that surprised me, quite honestly. Fifteen, and nobody replied. Nobody was interested. And then what happened was, a year later, that letter ended up still being in, opened, uh, being in the file of one of the shelters that ended up, the director at that point was a new director. The old director who had originally got my letter had left the position. And the new director said, you know, I just saw this letter that you sent a year ago, and I am a believer in animal communication, and I would be very interested in hearing about it, um, hearing what some of these animals have to say. Would you be willing to come in and do some work? So you never know when the right timing is going to be just perfect for a shelter that you reach out to to say yes to your offering. Um, so send those letters. Put it out there. You never know. You may or may not hear back. I will tell you, too, if those of you are already working with or volunteering your services to certain rescues or shelters, by all means, if you've already got a relationship with them, when you feel ready, approach the director and say, hey, you know me, I've been working here, volunteering here for a while. Can I do X, Y, and Z? Now, sure, you can communicate with those animals without giving any information at all to the director or board members. But if you actually ask them, hey, can I relay it to, that, to you, then you're asking them basically for permission to relay the information in the hopes that maybe they'll keep it in mind when they adopt an animal out. There's a particular uh, rescue that I work with at this time, and the director has all the dogs in foster homes, and she will reach out when there seems to be you know, some troubleshooting that needs to happen, 
or the dog just isn't getting seen by the public or nobody's reaching out for a particular dog and it's been the fo in the foster care system for a few months now and she wants to know, hey, what's up? What does this animal want? Because it's just not moving. It's not getting any interest. Um, and, you know, I'll go in and communicate with those animals. She's very open to it um, to the point where she, she really listens to what the animals say and she has been known to alter the write-up as well based on the conversations the animals, you know, relay to us. So she'll put in more of where the animal really stands on this or that topic. Um, there's another rescue that I'm currently working with where the director is very interested in knowing what the animals say and she keeps it in the back of her mind and her head, um, but she doesn't alter anything in the actual write-up. So, you know, as long as you as a communicator are willing to, you know, just relay the notes if they're interested in hearing them and then st step back and become unattached to what they choose to do or not do with them, then that'll really help you stay out of the um, judgment of, oh, they heard the animal, now why aren't they doing anything about it kind of mindset, because that's not going to serve you. It's not going to serve anybody. Um, you really want to go in, communicate, and then, you know, as far as the shelter goes and, and the outcomes of things for that animal, let go. Stay in that loving space. Hold the animal in loving space, and then let go. If you stay attached to whether the animal gets adopted or not, or gets euthanized or not, or continues to stay unseen in that shelter or not, you're going to put pressure on yourself, and you may find that you end up, in the long run, not liking doing this work so much, or finding it hard or too sad for yourself, because you're creating an attachment and creating thoughts that are leading you down the emotional road of sadness. Since your thoughts create your emotions, don't create sadness for yourself. Step out of that. Stay in love. Um, so who to relay this information to? Well, certainly the director, if they're open-minded to it. Um, volunteers is also uh, an option to consider. You may end up having a volunteer. Uh, maybe you yourself aren't volunteering at a particular shelter, but there's a volunteer who contacts you, knows you're communicating with animals, and says, hey, you know, there's this cat who just isn't getting adopted at the shelter. Can you ask it some questions? And maybe the volunteer is the only one who's going to hear the replies from that animal. I do work with some clients under that circumstance, too, where the director never hears it, where it never gets published into their biographies that are listed online on the website, and that's okay, too. You know, the point is you're doing the work with the animal, and bonus is you've got somebody, at least a volunteer, who's interested in hearing what the animal has to say. So not only do you have your ears offered as a listener, and the universe has its set of energetic ears listening, to the animal's reply, but now you've got a third person on board. And guys, there really is something to numbers, I'll tell you. Um, there is a, a saying that I've heard before, I believe it's I believe it's Bible based, but where more where two or more are gathered, you know, and the point being when you have more than one energetic being on board, um, those energies can combine and create even greater strength. Okay. So how about as a communicator? I have this question um, sent to me. So what if I'm a communicator? Should I do the work in person, by email, or on phone? And what are the pros and cons to each one of those? You know, it kind of comes down to personal preference. If you are an animal communicator who wants to do the work in person and you're okay with the distractions, potential distractions of barking dogs around you, maybe the public walking around you, uh, maybe shelter staff looking at you curiously as you communicate with the animal, then by all means, go ahead and do it in person. You know, um, I was just at the Cat Care Society with a few of, of you guys, a few students, uh, a couple weeks 
back, and we were in one of the cat rooms talking with a particular cat, and there was music on throughout the whole building. And we could hear the music in that particular room. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, you know, when I teach the endless communication classes, I do not expose my students to communicating with animals when there's music in the background. And we'll just kind of see how it goes. And it did not end up proving as a distractor to any of the students at all. You know, um, some of you guys have heard me say this before. Out in nature, animals are telepathing with other animals despite the vocal sounds and noises that nature makes. So we actually are wired to do the communication work even in environments that are not 100% silent. You can still communicate. Um, so let the noise be there. Take deep breaths to balance yourself, bring yourself down. So some people can see that as a con, the noise that's potentially there. Um, other people, you know, might see that as a pro. You know, I really want to communicate with that animal in person. You know, um, I've been in a situation where the shelter was like, yeah, I want you to communicate with that dog. And the dog kennel where this dog was was so noisy. So what I ended up doing, and I was given the okay to, was to go into that particular kennel and sit with that dog with my notebook and paper and to take notes. For me, just kind of being in the kennel helped me to use my my focus, my intention to communicate with that dog despite the array of barking that was going on around me. So that helped me to focus more. Um, another thing you can often ask them to do is, can I take that dog for a walk? You know, now, if you take the shelter dog for a walk, it may end up wanting to sniff and pull and may end up, that might be a distraction for you, but maybe they can put it in an outdoor kennel where you can sit outside. Or look at that animal and then go ahead outside where it is quiet sit on a picnic bench or on the curb and communicate with the animal from that quiet environment outdoors. If you're doing it by email, you'll want to get the information on that animal if you are working with a director or a volunteer. So get the animal's name, age, breed, gender, you know, all the usual stuff you would need to connect to the animal, including a photo. And you may, if working by email, want to ask the shelter staff, do you have any questions in particular you want me to ask them? Since you're not working with them in person, you don't have them on the phone, there may be something they really want to know, but until you prompt them of person, is there something you really want to know from this particular animal, or request it to not do something, you know, animal, you may not want to jump up, you know, in your kennel dog when people are walking by because that turns a lot of people off when they're browsing dogs to consider to add to their life, you know. Um, so just inquire and ask. You'll often get information back. If you're working with them by phone, uh, oftentimes I'll have a volunteer on the phone with me or the director themselves with me or one of the staff members who's been kind of appointed as a representative by the director to work with me. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask the same thing. You know, I'll ask the questions of the animals that I think the shelter wants to know and, of course, ask the shelter staff members or something that you want to ask in particular, you know, and oftentimes they have things as well. So you certainly can do that. What I tried to do in the beginning that did not end up working for me, maybe it will for you, but originally I said to the director of the shelter who wanted me to come in and do the pro bono sections way back when uh, in person, I asked her, would you be willing to stand beside me so you can hear what the animal has to say firsthand? And she originally said yes, but then, um, you know, she ended up getting cold because she's very busy. The setting of the environment is, you know, um, limiting sometimes for the staff being available to listen right then and there to what the animal has to say because they've got work to do, they've got things to do, people to attend to, the public, etc. So um, what I ended up doing when I do work in person is I go in with clipboard, paper, write it down, 
put it in a sealed envelope, put the director's first and last name on it, and ask the, the person at the desk when I leave to please give it to the director. That way the director gets it and it's being kept a little bit confidential in case the director is sensitive um, to potentially not wanting other staff members to, to read what's getting, which is fine. Basically what I don't do, guys, is I do not relay information that I get from the rescue animals when it's not invited or asked for. So what I would not do is pick an animal on PetFinder.com, have a conversation with them, write it all up, and then without being invited to do so, I would not just email it to the shelter and staff, say, hey, you know I'm an animal communicator, here's what I got on your animal, in the hopes that it can help them get adopted, here's what they said. Because you never know who's on the other end, if they're open to communication, if they're not. Some people you know, um, have some very interesting points of view about this work, not being from the divine. They think it's the opposite. And, and you know, I never want to step on anybody's toes. So don't offer the information if you're not invited. You can always ask if they're interested. Uh, there has been a time or two in the past year where I've seen, um, you know, usually on Facebook, an animal that is in a dire situation, but they're in a rescue setting, and you know the people are, are you know usually looking for volunteers to donate money to their their health, you know, and things of that sort, or their injury, etc. And there have been times where I've been really moved by the story or by the animal's energy as I look at their photo, and I'll reach out to them, the, the shelter staff, and say, Hey, here's the work that I do. Would you have an interest in me communicating with this animal? And what I've discovered in doing that. The rare times that I have is I've had, I'd say about 25% of the time, the people will write back, oh, yes, please, we would love your, your offer of the free service. And three-quarters of the time, I never hear anything back. So if I am going to communicate with one of those animals where I don't hear anything back, I'll just do it and keep it to myself, and knowing that the universe is going to hear it too. But I don't force it upon anybody. Anybody have any questions at this point? Hey, Danielle, it's Amy in Denver, and I have a question. Go ahead, Amy. Could you say a little bit more about um, working with animals that the shelter would say have behavioral issues? Just because yeah. I do volunteer at a shelter, and a lot of t times I get the, tell the animal to do this, or tell the animal, or... Why you know why are they so anxious or tell them they're safe or they're working with the animal to try to correct quote unquote a behavioral issue? Can you talk a little bit about working with animals yeah. in that situation in a shelter? Yes, absolutely. So what I would do is I would I would listen very keenly to what the shelter staff is saying, and I would then say to the shelter staff, yes, I'll talk with the animal about this. Um, keep in mind, though, some animals can't change on a dime because they're very set in their ways. Um, they're, they may be triggered by the environment in such a way where they just can't reach a new thought. But, yes, I will speak to them. So I kind of let the shelter know up front that, hey, I'll speak with them, but I'm not attached to the outcome, and maybe you, you wouldn't want to be too because they may or may not change. And then I would go to the animal and say, you know, I would try, guys, whenever possible, whenever possible, talk with an animal in a shelter or even your own when they are not in fear. It's very difficult, I've discovered, for an animal in fear to communicate with us. Sometimes they get kind of um, shut down, locked down. They, they, they don't have the freedom of thinking and thought that they always do. 
um, I find you can still communicate with them, but you may not get very much or get very far to anywhere with them in, in a kind of lengthy kind of way. Um, so, you know, I would just approach you, Amy, introduce myself to the animal, and set my intention to them, let them know why I'm communicating with them, why I'm talking with them, why I'm reaching out to them in the first place. And then I would go right into, here's where the shelter, first I would ask, you know, do you understand you're in a shelter and what this is about and that you're up for adoption? I would kind of, you know, want to get some basics. I, does the animal even know what's going on? Ideas cleared up first so I know where they stand. I would offer the information that the animal might be missing or lacking, um, and then I would proceed into letting them know where the shelter staff stands on that particular behavior. So, you know, I've, I'll give you a great example. So um, one of the rescues uh, had me speak with twice um, a particular dog, and he had been adopted out into homes three times and returned. Two of those times he'd been returned for nipping people. He hadn't drawn blood, but he had nipped. And this, the second time that they had me communicate was because the behavior problem was such where the uh, director had actually brought him in to the veterinarian to have him get his shots because they were, you know, lining him up for a potential fourth home and he needed to be updated. And what she saw firsthand was the dog became very stressed in that environment and ended up biting, not just the nip, but biting the actual vet staff. So she had him at that point, you know, brought him home, home in a cage, in a kennel that the staff had available to them. And she called me and she's like, you've got to tell him he can't bite people. He's nipped before. He bit the vet. I don't know what we need to do with him at this point. So that was a very big behavior issue that she wanted to communicate with him. So, you know, with that particular dog, I, I explained to him the position, where the human culture was coming from, how dog bites can affect us, how we see dogs who bite, um, you know, we see them as untrustworthy. I basically showed him the point of view of humans. I also got his point of view in each of those situations, why he did that particular behavior so I could honor him and see where he was, relayed that all to the director. And then I offered him suggestions of alternate behaviors that he could perhaps consider instead. And Amy, that's key right there for all of you. Offer the animal substitute or replacement behaviors that they could consider doing instead of behavior X, Y, and Z that the shelter doesn't care for. Sometimes our animal friends don't know they can do anything else. Um, you know, for a cat that's shy, you might want to say, you know, shy animal, uh, I am not here to make you change as a being, but the shelter staff says that you putting out the shy vibe is making people overlook you, and that may require you to stay here longer versus getting adopted, and the shelter staff would love to see you in a home. Do you have an interest in that? Say yes or no, listen to what the animal says, see where they stand, ask them more questions, and then go and say, you know, animal, if you end up finding somebody that you think you might have an interest in and you're willing to be brave and step beyond the shyness, here are some behaviors you may wish to utilize in that moment. Perhaps if you don't feel like you can be touched, because that's too asking too much of you, maybe you could, instead of hiding back in the corner, you could stand up and stretch and then sit and gaze at the people. Or maybe you could stand up, stretch, and walk around in a circle so they can see a 360-degree view of you. Um, maybe you can lay out and sprawl out in a relaxed kind of way or show your body. Basically anything but hiding. Okay, Shy cats tend to want to hide. So by inviting them to do something different, you're exposing them to another way of being that they can consider choosing. 
um, with the dogs that are jumping in the kennel as people walk by, I explain to them, you know, that behavior is a turnoff for many people. So instead, what you might want to do to draw attention, if that's what you're after, and if you're not just, you know, doing guarding of your kennel, which some dogs will do, um, is maybe just kind of, you know, if you are going to jump up, jump up and, like, lick through the cage bars or jump up and be quiet vocally or jump up and gaze to them and cock your head and look cute. Do you know how to look cute? How do you look cute? And the animal will give you some suggestions in the past of how they know they've successfully looked cute for people and ask them to show those cute behaviors. So it's really about finding out their motivation, why they're doing it, and presenting them with another alternative to consider. And what they choose to do with it or not is up to them. Does that help, Amy? Yes, very much so. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I like to use the verbiage, animals keep your teeth in your mouth and catch your claws in your paws. Dogs keep your paws on the floor. Okay. I like to say that in more of a, um, you know, tell them what to do with their body part <laughs> as a suggestion versus no jump, no bite, no scratch. Okay. The word no can be a funny thing. Sometimes it doesn't translate to all animals as clearly as we'd like it to, especially telepathically. So, you know, you can say no, and whenever I do say no telepathically, nine times out of ten, to make it super clear is I'll send them the same image of putting an X over them using their teeth outside their mouth on a human, you know, skin or on human clothing. Um, I'll use the visual along with it to make sure they understand I'm crystal clear just in case they might miss the verbal no, don't do that type of thing. Does anybody have an, another question around this topic or anything else? Okay, then we're going to keep going. So, um, email, phone, and in-person sessions, do what interests you. Um, it's really important when you're doing this work to continue to do what interests you and what you feel most success, successful in doing because it's going to hold your interest. For me personally, I rarely do email sessions with shelter animals, with rescues, if I don't have to, um, or even with clients these days because I find it very boring. I really enjoy the interaction and the follow-up questions and the, well, the actual material. I can get more material from an animal because I can speak it and say it on the phone, in person or on the phone, a lot quicker than I can type it. So um, do what interests you to hold your interest in doing the work of course. You know, set yourself up for success, whether it be in person, on the phone, or via email. So what do you do if an animal has something standing in the way of being adopted? Okay. So sometimes I will ask an animal, you know, and, and there's a question actually on that handout that I gave you. Um, I asked the question number three, are you open to being adopted? Is there anything stopping you? I like to ask questions along those lines because if there is something stopping them, then I want to know about it so that maybe I can offer them a different point of view or maybe it's just the misunderstanding they have on their end that if you kind of set them right with what the correct information of the truth is, then their energetic block that they're putting out there to getting adopted or getting seen by the public will kind of dissolve by the wayside. So. If you have an animal that says, you know, I don't want to be adopted unless the other animal in the cage, you know, that I'm with gets adopted with me, um, then, you know, that may be a huge energetic thing that prevents the do two dogs, for example, being seen. I'll give you a case in point. 
So a volunteer called, and she says, these two dogs just came in. They were found roaming around, probably lost. I have been trying for weeks now to locate their owners with no luck. They obviously are in love with each other, and the shelter thinks it's going to be easier to adopt them out separate versus together. And I, the volunteer, feel in my heart they really need to go together because they seem bonded. Can you talk with these animals for me? So I indeed talked with them. And what I discovered that um, it was more of um, a parent-child relationship that these two female dogs had with each other. And the one taking on the mother role was like, I must stay with my child. And when I talked with the, the dog taking on the child role, her perspective was, I can, I can actually get adopted comfortably into a home without my mom dog, but there's also a part of me that Becky? knows mom is not, is not going to thrive if, if I am not with her. So I think I should probably get adopted with her. So that was the perspective of the two dogs. Well, lo and behold, nobody was observing these two dogs visibly on their website or any place. They weren't getting seen. They weren't getting inquiries. And the shelter, after about three months, that communication with them was like, well, we're just going to advertise them as they can go separate. And they ended up adopting out the daughter dog. And what, <laughs> what happened was she got returned 24 hours later because the people who adopted her said this dog was very fine and friendly in the shelter. Yes, we saw the other one. We just wanted one dog. We took her home, and all she did was pace and scratch at the front door and taking her outside or for a walk was a very mild distraction for her. She kept just wanting to, you know, leave, leave the house. And it got to the point where they couldn't even sleep that night. The dog was just that adamant. So, and what was happening, meanwhile, back at the shelter was the mother, the dog who was taken on the mother role, was doing everything she could to try to escape, escape the kennel staff, the shelter, out, you know, the backyard kennel. She was, when for months before, while she was in the presence of the dog taking on the daughter role, she hadn't attempted any escapes at all. So when they brought the daughter dog back, they put them together, and then, of course, they realized, well, based on behavior, we really do need to adopt them out together. So that's eventually what did happen. So sometimes you're going to find there is something standing in the way. Talk with them about it. See where the animal stands. Sometimes, like in that instance, with the dog taking on the mother role, I couldn't. I just couldn't invite her to see from a different perspective because she felt that that's really what she needed. She needed that second dog to finish out its lifetime with her. Okay. Um, sometimes the animals will say things like, I really miss my prior person. My person dumped me here at the shelter or left me or aren't they coming back for me? I'm very sad, you know. Um, I've talked with animals where their people went into a nursing home, okay, or the person died. And, you know, it's just not a situation where it's possible for the animal to go back, and that animal is so sad, so depressed. And, you know, in that situation, I talk with them. It's kind of like counseling guys, just like you would counsel your human best friend. What are some words that you might say? And only, the, only you know what those words are in that moment, because every session with every animal is so customized, so unique. So you really got to offer them, you know, whatever feels right in that moment. What I'll sometimes offer is the point of view of, so it appears that your person went into a nursing home or they've passed away, and so they have come to completion, it looks like, in their relationship with you in a physical way. Do you, animal, have an interest in expanding your world and expanding your way of being with a new person who you could potentially contribute 
all that love that you had for person A now into person B, into this new family. Sometimes the animals don't even think that they can transfer their love over. Um, and it's not like asking them to stop loving, obviously, their, their first people or first family, but it's kind of like, can you continue to expand beyond the love you had for them in a new way with new individuals? I've had some animals actually say, I never thought about that. Yes, I know how to love, and I can offer love to new people too. But they had to kind of have that presented to them to consider it. They didn't come to it on their own. Um, if they feel that there's a health issue okay, standing in the way. So I'll give you another great example. A couple weeks ago, a client called, well, not client, um, a volunteer called, director. She's actually the volunteering and director. She has a, a bunch of cats in her house that are all up for adoption. She is a nonprofit, you know, 301C, and she said, I have this cat who seems very ill. She's going to the vet later today. I've had her in care for three months. Her person actually did go into her retirement home. She came into my, you know, um, my open house, that's kind of the setting the, ha the woman has for her, her um, shelter environment, the house. The cats get to roam wherever they want freely. Um, she came into the environment feeling very outgoing. She let me touch her and pet her, you know, a few months ago. And now, you know, I noticed she kind of became withdrawn, and now she's seemingly very, very ill. Can you tell me what's going on? Because I'd like to get her better and get her adopted. She's only six. So I talked with the cat, and what I discussed was the cat expected that somebody, you know, loving from the original household was going to come back and pick her up. She had an understanding that her person, you know, was no longer available, but she just thought one of the other people in the family who she knew, human-wise, was going to come get her. And when she saw that that didn't happen, and she also commented that a lot of the cats around were not getting adopted very quickly, she kind of became very sad regarding that, and she was like, oh, I guess they're not coming back for me, and I'm going to have to be here forever. And she so wanted a relationship with anybody. She would have taken anybody in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And so because that didn't happen, she ended up becoming very ill. And what I had said to the gal was, I said, listen, if indeed you can get this cat better health-wise, I would highly encourage you to put her into a foster home setting where she can have more one-on-one -on -one because although she gets along with other cats just fine, she's missing that connection, that bond with a human being. She said she's here to be with humans and to cater to humans, and she's not fulfilling her, her purpose in being in this multi-cat adoptable environment. And so the gal was very open with that, but um, the cat was very, very sick at this point. So I have yet to hear you know, which, which road you know, the cat took as far as um, recovering her health or not. All right, any other questions that are coming up in the moment? Okay, so advice when you discover potentially that an animal you just had a communication session with, you just discovered is about to be euthanized. All right, so I have talked with some animals and you know, maybe it was a behavior issue, the shelter originally came forward to me to talk with the animal on or health issue or whatever the case may be, and later on I end up finding out they're gonna euthanize that animal. Okay, how do I as the communicator deal with that? What do I do about it, if anything at all? You know, you've got to sit and see what feels right for you. But in the past, what I've done is I've actually gotten calm myself. And even though I may not like what I hear or like the choices that, you know, the shelter is going to choose, I will calm myself, get to a space of neutrality and peace, 
and then oftentimes I will tune into that animal on my own time and just, you know, relay the information that I heard. And, you know, sometimes I'll apologize. I'll say, I'm sorry that the staff is making this um, mistake. I wish it could be another way, but I love you enough to be honest enough with you on what's going on. So when you do leave this body, perhaps when you reincarnate into a new one, you may wish to be more selective about the kind of circumstances you want to put yourself to be born into. So maybe, you know, you won't have this repeat. You know, and I'll often listen to where they stand on it, and they may not like it. I've heard some animals say, I don't agree. I don't want to leave this body at this time. And, you know, um, I, I just offer them whatever I can. Often it's love, that love again. Um, listening to uh, a model communication is actually what I want to offer you guys next, just a demonstration. So I went on PetFinder.com last night and it confirmed on their website that Missy, the dog that I sent you a photo of, is up for adoption. She is a Australian cattle dog, blue healer mix. She's female. She's of that brindle coloring and size. She's up for adoption in Wyoming. Now, I am going to read you the description they wrote on her profile. It says about Missy. Hello, my name is Missy, and I'm a three-year-old spayed female. I'm super sweet and loving, but would prefer a home with no small children. I'm a very well-behaved dog, but do not like to be left alone outside. I'm hoping to find a loving forever home. So there's a couple things that I'm going to want to especially inquire with her about based on, based on the write-up. I'm going to ask her about the small children. Where does she really stand on that? Because maybe, or maybe not, they are accurate in the description they wrote here. Um, doesn't like to be left alone outside by yourself. That's something also I want to inquire with her on. So I have uh, previously connected with her last night, let her know what I'm doing here on this call, asked her if she'd be willing to let me use her as a demonstration. She said that was fine, but I did not actually go down the list of questions in advance. So I'm going to be doing it live in the moment, um, just so you guys can get a hear of you know, what we may encounter and where we might need to deviate as a result off of the line of questions that I've provided you with. So let's go ahead and do that now. So let me just call her in. So Missy, please. She says, oh, you're, girl, you're that girl from last night. Yes, so my name is Danielle, and I am here to ask you some questions on what you believe you'd like in a future forever home and to learn more about you. Because as I talk with you, the universe hears your replies, and the law of attraction can be set into motion and will potentially help you attract that ideal even quicker. She shows me an image of jumping up and down saying, yay, she's excited about that. All right, so first question, and I'm going to use it right off down the line uh, of that list of questions I sent you. So one, so Missy, do you understand why you're at the shelter rescue, or in this case foster home, Are you, do you understand why you're at the shelter? She says I'm here to be adopted. Okay, so the second half of question one reads, explain what you understand. She says to be adopted, she says, means people come and look at me, and people smile and sometimes give me treats. Uh, okay, do you think it means anything more than that? She says, well, I've seen other dogs go home when they get adopted, so I think it means going home too, but I've not experienced that. Is that what it means, she now asks me. So, Misty, yes, indeed, that is what it means. To be adopted means that, yes, people would come visit you, see if you're a match. They would hang out with you, observe your body language, 
you would present yourself to them, they'd see how you'd be with them, be, and vice versa. And to be adopted means you would go home with them, and they would offer you shelter, food, TLC, companionship, and you know potentially a forever home. She nods her head. She says, yes, that's what I meant. Okay. Number two, how are you feeling or doing in the shelter environment? She says right off the bat, I'm not getting enough exercise. I really want to run around. Um, the kennel is confining. She shows me being in a type of kennel that you know, has cement floor, so not a cage, but a kennel or a run. Um, it's still not big enough for her. She's also not getting enough outdoor time. Um, she tells me that she is becoming noisy and barky at times as a result uh, of, well, being a bit unbalanced because of lack of exercise and outdoor time. She says, I miss the sun. And I ask, how are you doing as far as emotionally at the shelter? She says, oh, well, I'm everybody's friend. Everybody likes me. Sometimes I bark to get their attention, to get them to come over to me. Sometimes I bark when dogs walk by my cage and they're a bit too close. I'm very reactive right now, she says. When I ask, now this is where I would deviate. Okay, based on what she says, guys, I'm going to deviate a minute off the question list. So, Missy, how do you feel about other dogs if, you weren't in your cage. She says, when I'm balanced and I'm relaxed, I don't mind other dogs. I'm pretty friendly with them. I do prefer to do things with people. She says, but other dogs, especially if they're not loud, not barky, like me, <laughs> she says, are more her preference. Okay. So that's me as a communicator, guys, finding out, is this dog usually barky at other dogs, or is it because of the environment that she's you know, being triggered into barking? And it feels like it's more the latter. So three, are you open to being adopted? She says, oh, yes. I'm ready to go home. I love car rides, too. <laughs> okay. And is there anything stopping you from being adopted? She says, well, the people, they don't stop by and say hello to me enough. They go on looking for, she thinks they're looking for smaller dogs. So I'm going to point out to her here. I'm going to offer a bit of insight. So what I've discovered in the past, Missy, is that when dogs in their cage bark at people who are passing by, sometimes those people misinterpret that barking and are kind of turned off by it. So if I could offer you the substitute behavior of instead of barking, maybe just if you have to jump up on the cage while do so, but in silence, turn your barker off and just watch them. They may end up stopping and you know petting you or giving you attention or checking you out. She says, I've done that before. She found it wasn't very effective. <clears throat> I'm going to encourage her to do it again anyway and let her know that barking sometimes turns many people off and they just want to walk by quicker and get away from the noisy dog. I see her wheels turning, which for me, anytime I get that image, is about the animals thinking about that, even though they haven't took it on hook, line, and sinker as their own adopted belief at this point. And that's okay. I've offered her a new idea. She can choose to do with it what she wants. Or what do you seek in your ideal home? She's looking for a yard, lots of space to run, a big yard that's enclosed where she doesn't have to be tethered to a leash or a tie-out so she can run free. She's looking for somebody to play toys with her, play tug toy games with her especially. She shows me the image of playing with games with people outdoors. She's really seeking the outdoors. Um, when I ask what else in your ideal home, um, people who are going to let me sleep inside and go outside anytime I want to. They're not going to tie me up, and they're not going to keep me in a cage. 
Okay, so that's going to make me deviate from the questions again, guys. So I want to know, out of curiosity, how would you feel about being created, say, just at nighttime, or when people were not home? How would you feel about that since that's cage-like? She's not interested in that at all. She shows me being like, ugh, not a great idea for me. It would remind me of being in a cage. I've been in here too long. Not interested. All right, so question five. Would you prefer to live with one person, a couple, or a family with children? Um, she's preferring multiples. When asked, though, multiples like adults, she says yes, those. How about children? Um, she says not interested. She thinks the staff doesn't trust her with children. <laughs> so she's picking that up from them as well. When I ask, so are you trustworthy with children? She says, I don't always understand why they grab things. Like, children can be grabby with their hands. I don't want my tail grabbed. She shows me being um, skittering away from a child, not skittering in fear, but more skittering like, I just don't want to be near you, lack of interest. Um, so teenagers, how would you feel about living with teenagers? Here's a 13-year-old and older. She says, you call them children? I'm going to let her know. Some people do. She says, I don't consider them children. They're young adults. I can handle them, especially if they're going to play tug or frisbee with me. All right, what are you after in the preferences you've chosen regarding family? She says, I'm looking for people who are going to play outside with me a lot. Um, I'm looking for people who are going to exercise me outside. Now, at this point, guys, she has not mentioned walks at all, which at this point a lot of dogs will. So I'm going to ask her directly, is it important for you to get a walk so I can understand your exercise needs? She says, oh, yeah, but people don't like to walk me. I'm too strong. Okay, so she's picked that up from people, guys. I'm going to let her know that, you know, in the right environment with the right people and maybe even the right education or training, you, end, you may end up finding people who like walking you. Would you like that then? She says, yeah, but she's more interested in having a huge backyard to roam freely. Okay. So would you prefer to share your home with another friendly dog? Um, she'd prefer to be the only one when asked why. Because she really wants all the playtime to herself and she hopes people will really, really play with her. Would you want to share your home with a friendly cat? Okay, so what I do here for this one, guys, is I present her the image of a friendly cat, say, sitting in the middle of the living room, and I kind of show her that image, and then I kind of back off, and I see what she does in the image, which will be information I need to know. I see her approaching the cat warily, and as soon as the cat does anything that indicates it's hissy or scared or fearful, goes into Halloween cat pose, I see this dog wanting to play with it and chase it. So what I would say to a shelter staff member or director or volunteer is, based on what I'm getting from this dog, I personally, as Danielle, wouldn't put it in a home with a cat because what I'm getting is a little bit too stressful for the cat, potentially. I mean, it may not end up being that way long term after the dog and cat get to know each other, but initially, I personally wouldn't choose that kind of home for it. Seven, how much exercise do you need on a regular basis to keep you happy? Um, this dog says, I want lots of exercise, but again, mostly in a huge backyard. I can exercise myself. I want to run. I want to sniff the ground. I want to, uh, okay, put my nose underneath bushes and look for rodents and rabbits and squirrels in the backyard. Okay. Um, any other kind of exercise needs? She says, I don't think so. Okay. Eight, what kind of interaction do you seek with your future person or people? She's really looking for play. That comes up yet again. That's really important to her. What else? 
you know, she is looking for people who are going to allow her to be indoors, laying down. She shows me the image of being laying down on the floor beside a comfy living room chair where people are allowing her to be with them as a family member. Uh, she's, what does this mean as well? She says, I don't want to be kept separate. I want to be part of the family, with the family. Um, she desires to hang out with them quite a bit. She shows me, you know, in a large home, she wouldn't just kind of go off and be aloof or independent like some dogs maybe. Uh, she would want to really stick around to where the action's happening because she doesn't want to miss a trick, especially if there's food involved um, in that particular home. So she'd be one of those dogs that might say to a shelter, my impression is she's one of those dogs who's going to really want to be a central part of the hub of the family. Um, she's not going to do things solo or independent, so make sure the family's okay with having a dog who's going to be want to be part of the picture in almost everything they do, especially active things they do, play, wrestling around, things of that sort. So eight, what kind of interaction do you seek with your future person or people? Let's see if she gives us anything new. Um, she is showing me belly rubs, would be of interest to her, people petting her on top of the head. She also indicates to me she doesn't have a huge desire for a lot of touch. Really, it's about hanging out with them, um, doing things with them. Doing things to her is action-based and not so much touch-based. Okay, so nine, how much social time do you seek with your future person or people? She says, well, I want them to live with me. And I'm going to say yes, I'm sure that would probably happen 99% of the time. Um, but, I mean, social time like everyday basic interaction. She says, well, I want to be there in the kitchen when they cook breakfast. She says, I want to sleep. Now, she shows me an image. Oh, that's interesting, okay, of sleeping like in the living room, in a living room chair while her people are in their bedroom, and I see their door closed. Okay, so what is this image all about? What are you saying? She says, I want to be in the house. Okay, so does it matter whether you're in their bed or bedroom or not? She says, I just want to be in the house. I don't want to sleep outside. I don't want to sleep in a cage. Okay. So uh, the other half of number nine, what would that look like? Okay, she already told us that. Ten, how much touch would you seek from your future people? Where would you want touch? She says, I don't need an awful lot. I'm mostly social in the stand near you, you stand near me kind of way. I will accompany you outside. I don't want to miss the rodent if any are out back. Okay, where would you want to be touched in those times you were seeking it? She shows me on top of the head, base of the ears, sides of the neck would be fun, maybe a good butt scratch now and then. And um, she shows me human nails scratching her back there. Um, the belly, you mentioned scratching your, petting your belly. He says, yeah, but only when I'm laying down and I'm tired. Okay, only when I present my belly. She's also being particular about not wanting people to just go up and pet her belly anytime they want, but it's when she invites them to. And what about other areas on your body, shoulders, sides of your rib cage, your back? She says, they can pet me there. I won't mind, but it doesn't really feel good, so I'll just walk away. That just, does it cause any pain? She says, no. It's just not a pleasure spot. On top of my head is a pleasure spot. All right, so number 10, 11. What will it take for you to bond with your future people? She says play playtime, roughhousing, and sleeping in their house. Okay. Uh, 12, what jobs might you wish to take on in your future home? Um, she says I want to bark at things outside. I want to see what's out there. 
Okay, and when I ask about other jobs, she has no suggestions. She goes quiet. Okay, so here is an example where I'm not hearing she wants to be guard dog, or I'm not hearing, you know, she's not even mentioning, you know, um, you know one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship with a person or companion dog. She just kind of wants to be part of a family and be seen as an equal, and that's good enough for her. She doesn't have a huge list of, oh, I want this and this and this and this, like some animals will. Thirteen, anything else you wish to tell me? She says, will you adopt me? And I'm going to let her know the truth of that. So, no, I'm not in a position to take on another animal family member right now. However, I do want to remind you, as you spoke about what you seek in a forever home, the universe hears you. And even though I have not contacted the shelter to let them know what your answers will be, I, I have not done that. I will not do that. I want you to know the universe still hears. And when it comes down to it, it's the universe and the bigger scheme of things that really needs to hear anyway. She nods her head. She says, I'll eventually get home. This dog is emotionally, guys, very optimistic. She knows it will happen eventually. She's not in sadness nor anger nor desperation um, to get out from the shelter environment she's at right now. She's doing pretty good there. Now, on that list of questions, you'll see three more sections below the 13 questions. Section for dogs, cats, and horses. So dogs, these are just some suggested key questions in addition to the top if you're working with a dog. So is being a house dog with a backyard enough, Missy, or will you really need walks? She says, backyard is enough for me. Um, and when I feel into how much exercise this dog needs as an individual, she does not come across to me as hyper. She does come across as playful and interactive. Um, she tells me that part of that is breed-based. <laughs> and I chuckle, yes, sometimes their, their breed is. Um, however, she doesn't, she's very smart, and she doesn't need to run willy-nilly or kind of do activities that are, she says, unmeaningful. So she doesn't need, again, she says walks are not necessary if she has a huge backyard and people are willing to interact with her in it. What kind of toys do you prefer? Um, she's looking for anything she can sink her teeth into and run away with, things that are light, that are small, anything in particular. She's showing me a ball, anything else. Um, that tug toy, she'd like that, anything else. Uh, she's showing me something that looks like the shape of a, when you go bowling, bowling pins, you know, think of that shape. When I ask, what is this? She says it's a toy that I grab and go with. I can easily, oh, okay. It's a toy um, of the shape where she can grab it easily in her mouth and take off with it, and it doesn't have to be a ball. Would you like to chew on anything like bones or a deer antler? She says, yeah, I think that would be nice. Anything in particular? Um, anything that crunches, where I can break it apart in my mouth and I can swallow it. So are you talking more like a dog cookie going to break apart? She nods her head. She says, something I can eat. Okay, so for this particular question, I'm getting she has more of a preference, even though I presented bones, experiences that she do on long term. She's more interested in chewing something that she can get instant gratification. Like, would you want to be a therapy pet? Not interested in that. Um, would you want to do agility? She says if it involves activities and there's a whistle, she likes the sound of whistles. She thinks that might be fun. Okay, any other sport with your person? doesn't have a suggestion because she doesn't know what sports are out there. Um, so there's Frisbee. She says, yes, maybe. That would be fun. I, I see her grabbing these toys and going. I do not see her retrieving them. So that's something that 
I might tell a shelter, you know, future people, if they want to play with her, they may have to teach her to re return <laughs> with the toy. Or do you just want to be a house dog? She says, that sounds about right. I want to be a house dog and a backyard dog. Very good. So I'm going to go ahead and thank her. Thank you, Missy, for talking with me. And I wish you the best in attracting your future home. <laughs> she says, you're welcome. She's very willing to talk. All right. So do you guys have any questions before I go through a few what-if scenarios? Any questions? Okay. So let's talk about this. So what if, um, what if you're in a situation where an animal is vocalizing and you're in person there and it's making it challenging for you, the communicator here? Um, my suggestion is just simply go ahead and step out of the environment that is distracting you. You know, it's challenging to communicate anyway. Set yourself up for success and be in that communication setting where you can hear them. Okay? As simple as that. Change the setting so you can do the work. Okay? Asking the animal to stop whatever's triggering, triggering it to bark, stopping its barking may not be possible. You can certainly ask, but a lot of the times when they're triggered by something in the setting in the environment, they just go into reaction mode. So do what you need to do to change that. All right, so what if the animal wants to stay with their foster? Okay, I get that one a lot. So foster people will call me up, I've got this dog, he needs to be adopted out, what's he want in his future home? And I hear the animal say, I don't want to go anywhere else, I want to stay right here. I really like this environment. Okay, well I ask, I relay that to the foster and ask, where do you stand foster on this? And then I relay that truthful information back to the dog. And I might present it this way if this was the answer. So foster dog, your person is not in a position where they are able or wanting to take on another family member, but they do want to see you be happy in a future forever home, so they are temporarily housing you. And if you could tell us today what it is you seek in a future home, that will help them place you in the right environment. So you have an awful lot of say here in choice animal and what you desire. And the animal may still be adamant, I don't want to go anywhere. And that's okay. Even if I hear that, I'll still proceed, guys, in asking the animal, well, what if it happened where you did get adopted in a future home, what would you still desire? I do find the animals still are willing to answer those questions. Okay, um, okay so one of you guys had earlier asked me, so what if I'm doing a phone session with the foster or shelter? Do I get all the animals' information you know, in advance, or do I do it right in the call? And really, guys, that comes down to, you know, um, your personal preference. You know, what method do you prefer? I like the preference of kind of having everything set to go on my end. To me, it facilitates greater smoothness in the conversation. So therefore, I like the photo, name, age, breed, gender, and how long the animal's been in the rescue situation sent to me in advance. Um, that way, we can move through the session. And you see, um, you can actually do a session pretty quickly. I mean, that was maybe a hair over 15 minutes with Missy the dog. And if, you, if we happen to have encountered something with Missy where she had you know, a block or something that was emotionally stopping her, then I would have taken longer to discuss that with her versus just moving on to the next question. You want to honor where the animal is in that moment because you're really 
you're being of service to them. And to be of highest service means to be present to wherever they are in that present moment. If, it's not, if they're not ready to proceed to the next question, then by all means, take a step back and stay with them there and visit with it a little longer. Um, now, what if you end up with an animal who doesn't want to talk to you? What if you have that scenario? I, sometimes I like to ask such animals, and it happens rarely. I've actually never had it with uh, shelter animals say they don't want to talk to me. But if you encounter that, you can simply ask them why. Can you explain to me why? They'll often answer that. And if it's something like because nobody cares about me anymore, you know, here, well, you can certainly easily help them to see from a different point of view there, and maybe they'll buy into that point of view. Um, just kind of ask them why. Okay. So where to go from here if you're wanting to work with a shelter dog? Well, every one of you can work with them on PetFinder.com, even if you don't send the note to shelter staff. And every one of you doing that, choosing to do that, is going to make a difference with these animals because you become part of their, their life journey. And even if the outcome isn't such that they get adopted or you know whatever the outcome is, you still stepped in and offered your services. You offered a hand to them and the universe for the responses. So it is still worthwhile, in my opinion. All right, does anybody have any questions? No questions? Yeah. All right, and as we wrap up here, um, just know that you can change these questions, modify them to any species. You can use these questions with guinea pigs and farm goats up for adoption and horses and you know cattle. Um, there's a guinea pig shelter that's located here in Aurora, Colorado, and the gal was very open-minded to me going in and communicating with some of the guinea pigs. And it was really awesome to get feedback from her afterwards of, you know, she would point out certain guinea pigs that I had spoken with the week before that ended up getting adopted, and, you know, she would relay, you know, things that the people who now own the guinea pig would say the animal did, that the animal had mentioned in conversation, you know, it liked this, it liked that, and it was really nice. With that said, I find that I tend not to get too much feedback other than the animal got adopted or was euthanized or whatnot. Sometimes I'll hear that, um, but I tend not to hear too much afterwards. Is it okay as a communicator to follow up, you know, afterwards? I would say yes. You know, if that interests you, check in with the person you know, you originally worked with a couple weeks ago, or check on Pop Finder, see if that animal's still up for adoption. If this photo's not there, chances are, you know, it's, well, it's definitely at least outside the adoption uh, setting. All right, gang, well, we are at the final section of our call. We are all set for today with information. If you have any last-minute questions, go ahead and just speak now. All right. And we are set. If you think of something in hindsight, feel free to email it to me. I wish you all a great day and take care. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.